0: So before we even jump into chapter 11, just with chapters 1 through 10, uh, I think we'd all agree on this, that one of the big issues for the author of Hebrews is saying, don't give up on Jesus because he's better than everything else. And so the the author is saying, don't give up on Jesus. I know you're being persecuted. You might be suffering. There are lots of worldly reasons to, to forsake the Christian faith. But whether you go back to Old Testament Judaism or whether you just leave Christianity altogether, what seems like a good trade is a really horrible, eternally terrible trade. And Jesus is better than everything else in existence. And so please don't forsake, him. Don't turn from him because he will not forsake us. And if you look at chapter 10 real quick before we jump into that, um, Scott, can you read 32 to 39?
1: Sure. 10, starting in verse 32, but recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward.
0: Okay, so even there you've got, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Don't shrink back to destruction, but instead have faith and preserve your souls. Endure to the end to be saved. And so in light of that, which has been so much of what's already happened, we dive into 11 where basically he's saying, here is what genuine faith looks like in the Old Testament. And it's really, would would y'all agree, this is really systematic theology in the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. You've you've got... uh, You've got the author taking one topic, the topic of faith, and he just catalogs, he just starts in Genesis 1, basically, and marches through the Bible and just marks every time he sees faith, almost just so many examples, and he just says, here's persevering faith with this character, this character, this character, and we sh- we should be encouraged by their past faith, and we should endure to the end like they, like they did. So mm-hmm. um, thoughts about just those basic ideas before we jump into 11?
2: I find it interesting that uh Scott in that verse you were reading um about the reward that reminded me of eleven six that we're coming to you, therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward and and you know if we're going to see two things about faith it's you know pretty much verse one here it's the assurance of things hoped for, so it's always something future and the conviction of things not seen and uh So you know, I think that Oswald Chambers said faith enables the believing soul to um, to see the future as the present and the unseen as the seen. And I think that that's kind of the. It's certainly not easy. I think there's a number of things in our world that make that harder, in our own hearts probably, uh, that make that hard. But um, but I, I just find Mark and Scott this passage. To be very, very encouraging, you know, to spur us on um, in, in our own faith, and uh, and probably convicting as well um, that it, it is pretty easy to shrink back, um, you know, if we're not careful.
1: Yeah, I just I just throw this this out there. I thought this was interesting. A couple of different people said this that uh, the author of Hebrews could have just gone from ten thirty nine. And he could have gone straight to to chapter 12 saying, let us lay aside every weight and sin, which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance. He could have just done that. But instead, he encourages his readers further by reminding them of examples of faith in earlier days. The men and women in Hebrews 11 had nothing but the promises of God to rest upon. Yet so much did these promises mean to them that they regulated the whole course of their lives in their light. I just thought this was this was fantastic. He decides, the author of Hebrews decides to give us this whole chapter, this wonderful chapter 11, with example after example after example of all these people from the Old Testament. Like Mark said, he does systematic theology, but he gives us these stories to be in, so we can be encouraged to imitate their faith. And for me, it's just it's uh, another chance to just say how important it is to study other believers, certainly biblical believers who have uh, had strong faith. But then certainly we have all of church history. To look at and to be encouraged by the faith of faithful Christians. And just uh, my wife and I got this book filled with several different Christians, well known Christians, and has little short stories. And just the other night we we're reading about Charles Spurgeon's mom who uh, prayed for, for Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon talked about years later how he remembered her prayers. He said, How can I ever forget when she bowed her knee and with her arms about my neck prayed, Oh, that my son may live before thee? So he's remembering years later his, his godly mother praying, putting her hands on him, praying for him, and then there's this story where Spurgeon's dad, who was a pastor, I guess he was vocational. he also had another job, but he was a pastor, and he went off to preach, and he was feeling convicted that he wasn't caring for his family and his wife, their spiritual needs, he was caring for other people's spiritual needs, so he turned around, he came home, he got home, he went inside, nobody was downstairs, he went upstairs, and as he's climbing the stairs, he hears somebody talking, and he realizes somebody's praying, so he slowly gets creeps to the door and he, he hears his his wife is praying and she's fervently praying for their children. And so he just stood there and listened by the door. His wife was fervently interceding for her children, especially for Charles, her strong-willed firstborn son. And I, that just that moved me. I mean, because we have a son now, but just this godly woman pleading to, to God to like save their children, and especially Charles with was strong will, which I can imagine Charles Spurgeon had a huge personality. So I imagine he had a strong, strong will. But here's this godly mother that most people in history don't even remember her name, but there she was faithfully praying. So I just would mm-hmm. encourage us all to, to study lives of faithful believers because it is such an encouraging, encouragement to our faith.
2: Mm-hmm. And with the importance, I would add to that, Scott, they, where we see the importance of faith, For sure in this chapter, I imagine in heaven, those that have not been um, maybe as out in front or maybe haven't even been those who received all the accolades, like Spurgeon's mom, will be the one that is greatly rewarded, as we see that word here at least twice. Those are going to be the ones that um, are faithful, the -the behind-the-scenes prayers, um, maybe. Yeah, and in chapter 13,
0: of verse 7, he says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, everybody knows that last part, uh, but that that part about, and we've all had leaders, we, we've all had people who've influenced us, whether they are living or have already gone to heaven, and he, this author here is saying, don't forget about the grace of God in past people's lives, because the same Jesus who was that way with them yesterday is the Jesus with you today and the Jesus who will always be. And so um, don't, don't forget, through Christian biography, Christians who have ended well, I mean, when he says consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith, he's not mainly talking about probably uh, Christians who are, who are newer on the path. He's saying people who've finished well, people who've, who've lived a long life of Christian faithfulness, don't neglect those stories, because those will do you good uh, in, the, in the whole process. Jerry, can you read verses 1 through 7 of chapter
2: 11? Yeah, absolutely. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Um, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made of the things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, uh, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned to God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith.
0: Yeah, so um, let me just start with this question to, to you guys. Now, let me start with Jerry here. So um, if someone, say someone from, a, from not from a Christian background, if someone were to say faith seems like a blind leap into the dark, even maybe leaping into the dark against the evidence, so, like, we've got science, we've got reason, we've got logic. That's clearly pointing us over to this direction. But you guys have sort of this mythological Christianity. You, you guys you blindly believe this stuff, and you sort of live your life, and you just kind of hope for the best after you die. Uh, I'm, you know, what, what would you say, if someone wasn't maybe saying it in an attacking way, but if someone was honestly asking you about that, how would you respond to the whole faith is a blind leap in the dark question?
2: Yeah, I read something that was interesting. It, it said that faith is really a response to what God has revealed in his word. And so when I was thinking about that, Mark, I thought it it really isn't blind at all. You know, Romans 1 talks about how in general revelation, we see him everywhere, uh, his invisible uh, qualities and divine nature. And then um, through special revelation, through his word and through his Holy Spirit, it is really obvious. It does not become a blind leap to believe what God has said. And then, like you guys have already said, you go back to his past faithfulness, you go to his everyday faithfulness in his promises. Um, and then it becomes really obvious, I think, to the believer. I can see where an unbeliever though. Because Satan's blinded the mind of the the eyes of the unbelievers so they can't see the glory of Christ. So it probably does seem like a pretty good leap to them. But Mark, you said it, it's self authenticating um, to us as we just continue to see God work. And you just know that uh, life would be so much different, so dramatically different without Him. That uh that faith I think becomes now. I don't think it's easy. I, I I so many times don't trust the Lord like I ought, but um, but it's a hundred percent apparent that God is who he says he is, his son is the Lord Jesus Christ who paid the price for our sins, and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we we know those things, those are things that we know, that we believe he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We've we've seen it over and over as 100% past faithfulness and track record are something we can count on.
0: Yeah, and I just, if in a conversation with a non- non-believer, um, it's nice to say, I can understand why they make those comments, but I also want to say that our belief in God and the resurrection of Jesus actually give a foundation to things that everyone believes, but most people don't have a foundation for them, which would be like the human rights in general, the fact that people have dignity and that they matter, the, the fact that there is such a thing as right and wrong behavior, the, the fact that... Um, certain kinds of things that happen shouldn't happen and that justice should be done. All those concepts, justice, morality, right and wrong, human dignity, all those things are believed by everyone, that you can't live without believing them, and yet they only actually find a reference point or a foundation in the God of the Bible. And people want to get rid of the foundation and keep the results, but that doesn't really work. That itself is kind of a blind leap into the dark because you don't have a reason for human dignity but you're going to believe it anyway. That's a leap in the dark. You don't have a reason for objective morality, but you're going to believe it anyway. That's a leap in the dark. But, but we're actually giving, a, I think, a clear, biblical, rich foundation to things that we intuitively know uh, to, be, to be true. So let's, let's look here at these first verses. How, how does the author, uh, Scott, how is he defining faith, and how are we to sort of learn what faith is from, from this chapter?
1: Yeah, I mean, I can I can read uh, just that first verse. He says, "Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen." Which multiple people talked about. Faith is simply we take God at His word and we believe what He what He says. Uh, that is that's the idea, I guess, of of faith. Faith is convinced that what God promises will most certainly be fulfilled. Faith is the organ which enables people to see the invisible order that, that I guess would be get the ball rolling on on the idea of faith and he's not giving a full definition multiple people said that but it's sort of the, the basic bare bones mm-hmm. definition
2: yeah i like the way that faith is uh, tied in with love with uh, hope and love but especially with hope you know that that right there in there it's the assurance of things hoped for and, and I think that's, we, we can be sure. It reminded me of reading this and just great memories of my mom and whatever. And I'm kind of uh, oh, a little, maybe intrigued by the gift of faith, but that's what she had. I don't know how many times I would call her and say, mom, I need you to pray. And she would say, you know, and it, and it would be something that I'd be in distress over. And she'd say, oh, I'll pray for that. That'll work out. There was always the same response for us. like, oh, I'll pray for that, and that'll work out. And it, and, it, and it was amazing. She just was sure. She had an assurance that she would pray, and it would happen. And I, and I don't know necessarily because she was praying, but that was her. She prayed like crazy. And, and, uh, and then sure enough, she had an assurance of that, which was always just a great comfort you know, growing up, and and even until she went to heaven last year, just to know, oh yeah, I'll pray and that'll work out, you know. And 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 then sure enough, and and not it didn't always work out in that the circumstances were taken care of or whatever, but in the Romans eight twenty eight way it worked out.
0: that's great. With again, with verse one, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The stress here is on the on the certainty of it, the the reality of the of the things that are believed in. And um, again, just to reference, like uh, there are things that we know are wrong without having to read it in a book, right? They're, they're just things you know um, a man abusing his wife Does, you don't need an argument. You know. It, it is absolutely certain that's not okay. That shouldn't be happening. That needs to be stopped. And um, in a similar way, faith is a deep conviction and a, a certainty. Uh, it may not be something that you can prove in a mathematical equation, same way with morality. You can't prove that mathematically, but you know it. You know it is true in the depths of your being. Like, Jerry, you've said sometimes you're more sure that Jesus rose from the dead than that you're sitting in your wheelchair on your driveway right now. I mean, it's like, it's like th- these are things that are certain. There, there's a lot of uncertainty. I mean, I, we have no idea mm. what tomorrow holds but we really do know uh, that the truth of Christ, the, the truth of who God is, because when mm-hmm. the eyes are opened to the truth and beauty of the gospel, like you said, you you simply have this overwhelming sense th- mm-hmm. that it is true, and that's why uh, people who are otherwise maybe not even as educated have been able to give their lives for Jesus, because it's not about an academic exercise. This is not about a mathematical formula. This is about the Holy Spirit convicting and convincing the heart. And when the Holy Spirit does that work, you know. I mean, you know, like you know absolutely that it is that it is true. So he seems to be stressing the certainty aspect. Not that mm-hmm. Christians don't struggle. Christians can struggle with doubt. It can go up and down. But when faith is poured into our heart, there is a just an absolute uh, destruction of doubt. I mean, in those moments mm-hmm. of clarity, we just, we know the truth of who God is, and we're willing to 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 give everything for that in those moments because the the spirit has the power to convince and to convict.
2: Mark, I have to go back and you remind me by by saying that even the unbeliever, if we go back to Romans 1 uh, verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So even the unbeliever to some degree has a absolutely knows. I love the next one verse 21 for although they knew god they did not honor him as god or give thanks to him so they knew him 32 uh although they know god's righteous decree and that those who practice these things deserve to die they not only do them uh, you know the whole list of of horrible things but give approval to those who practice them so i find that interesting that god is uh has made himself so obvious in who he is through general revelation even that that the unbeliever even know that but yeah what do you think what makes and, and scott i love to hear you on this wonder what makes because i love what you said where you know i believe but help me with my unbelief type of thing what makes it so hard then to, to believe god and not be anxious or complain about things. Because if we believe him, we're not going to complain. We're not going to be anxious. Those sort of sins. Why do you think we continue to fall into that? What are the the, the hurdles of really having this kind of faith?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there, there are lots of them. I mean, b- believing what we see or like trials or whatever, these things that come at us. But I just, I'm going to not necessarily maybe answer your question directly, but talk on that subject. The, the, this is what got me thinking of, on this chapter about, Faith, which this goes to all of what you guys are saying, but one, one guy said, if God's word was talking about verse three, if God's word was capable of creating everything out of nothing, then surely that word is a sufficient ground for our hope. And th- then he said this, he said, if we believe in the supreme value of faith, then we will give our time, our effort, and our favor to those things that build up our faith, scorning all those things that stand opposed to it. I just thought this—we talked about this last night with my guys on Zoom about what strengthens your faith. It was just a sweet time. We were just batting all these ideas around. But I, th- I think of Abraham and Romans four, his faith, like his faith grew strong as he considered the promise. Or I think of uh, Romans one, Paul, which you were just referencing. Paul wants to go to Rome. He wants to encourage their faith. Which one commentator said that's of course natural. Paul was gifted to, uh, pastorally. But he says he wants to be mutually encouraged by their faith. He said, Mm -hmm. how much more should we want to be encouraged by other people's faith? If the Apostle Paul needed encouragement for other people, how much more do we need encouragement? And I think Matthew 6, Jesus powerfully lays that out, but he says, you have little faith. Like if we had stronger faith, we wouldn't worry about anything because he lays that out. God closed the fields and all these things. We wouldn't be anxious about anything. So I've just been thinking we need to fill our lives with those things that strengthen our faith, and we listed lots of things last night, like Ian Webster said, singing with the people of God is something that strengthens mm-hmm. his faith. He actually mentioned you, Jerry. He said he remembers singing, great is thy faithfulness, and looking out and seeing you hugging Maggie with tears in your eyes. He said that strengthens his faith. He, said he looks out and he sees his dad with his arms raised. He says singing with that deep, booming voice. He said you can feel it in your chest when Dr. Webster sings. That strengthens his faith. Other people said, stop talking to other believers who've been Christians for a long time. Mm -hmm. And Manuel talked about talking to Bruce Hakama one time when they had a girls' night at the Hakama's house. So Bruce got kicked out and went to the Chronics. And he he said, Manuel said, he asked Bruce, what was one thing you worried about in your 20s that you shouldn't have worried about later? And he said finances. Like finances was something he worried about, but God provided. All Mm -hmm. along, God had had provided for them. So here's an older believer saying, you know, trust God. He's been faithful. To me, other people said like reading good books, the encouragement from other Christians, seeing people come to saving faith was the one we ended on. And uh, Ian asked Josh Krause about Carter, seeing Carter come to saving faith and what a joy that was. And we talked about Grant and Hannah and Jose. So mm-hmm. I just think maybe getting with other Christians and just batting around ideas, what strengthens our faith? Certainly feeding on the promises of God, which we'll probably get into, feeding on the word of God. But there's so mm-hmm. many other things that we really need to be thinking, what really helps strengthen my faith and filling our lives with those things will certainly help us fight against mm-hmm. little faith and unbelief, but it's not necessarily answer your question, but I think it may strengthen us to fight against the things that you're saying. No, I, I think
2: that does, I think that does answer, Mark, what do you think is the, some of the hurdles?
0: Oh yeah. Well, just tagging on with Scott's thing. Um, and this may not be true for everybody in the same way. And this may sound even strange, but I often find that, um, confronting some of the weighty and horrific things that happen in the world helps, strangely helps my faith. I know that may sound backwards, but when I think about, I mean, just to be blunt, like death, and when I think about people who go through horrendous suffering, it it does a couple of things for me. It doesn't make me question God or things like that. For me, it makes me, number one, every bit of suffering in the world is a parable of how horrible sin is. Now, that doesn't mean people suffer to the degree that they sin. That's not true. Job obviously makes that clear, but the reason suffering exists and death exists is because of the sin in the garden. God subjected creation to futility because of sin, so the the, the fallen world is sort of like telling us about how horrific our evil, the evil of humanity is, by the horrible things that happen, and so I think that seeing some of that and, and, and not just seeing some of the difficulties in the world should, should give us a sense of the gravity of our personal sin mm-hmm. and, and to, to give us a sense of what we deserve and, and what God has spared us from in some senses, but just to feel the weight of, of what's going on in the world and also be burdened for other people who are going through very difficult circumstances. So th- uh, th- those can also help sort of be a cold bucket of water to wake me up to, uh, to, to how, how important uh, things that are eternal really are.
2: Yeah. I think those we always have those three liars fighting faith, you know, our, our own sinful hearts, Satan, and the world tugging, uh, you know, the wrong way to say, oh, you know, believe what you can see, just believe what can be proven. And, um, and so this is um, a, a great challenge. I think this verse six really is astounding to me, the um, strong language that without faith, it is impossible to please him, without faith, it's it's impossible um, to please him. So we must believe those two huge things, and I didn't mean to skip through uh, two, three, four, and five, but uh, we must believe that he exists, and I think that's an easier one. But that he rewards those who seek him. That has in the last three days that has really got me. I think that uh, the the old NIV used to say those, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And uh, And I think so many times I'm not very earnest uh, in the way I seek him. I may pray a little bit here or there, and uh, a little haphazardly, but the earnest, earnestly seeking God, kind of like Scott, you said about Spurgeon's mom, are we earnestly seeking Him? And if we did, uh, there would we would see him reward that, but I think that would strengthen our faith. You know, as we would see him do more and more and more um, of the things that we've asked.
0: Jerry, can I ask you something? So that statement is just amazing. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So let's say that I'm skeptical of that. Again, let, let let's say that I, I consider myself. Uh, you know, say I'm I'm an upbeat person. I'm a nice person. I try to be nice to people, but I don't I don't have faith in Jesus how could this verse say that everything I'm doing is displeasing to God just because I'm lacking faith? Like, what's the big deal about faith? I'm a nice person. I try to do people, you know, I try to do favors for people. I try to be kind. I try to be gracious. Why is it saying that even my most righteous deeds here are flawed if I don't have faith in God?
2: Yeah, I think, um, and I'm going to, since we're kind of camping over here quite a bit, I'm going to go back to to Romans one. Um, because I find this interesting that people go to hell for this reason, really. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. And so if we are not honoring God as God, or if we're not thankful for, uh, for what um, he has done, giving thanks to him, they become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts are darkened. And so I think it's easy for our, uh, since our heart is deceitful above all things, it's easy to kind of um, fool ourselves into to think, oh, I really am pleasing God because I'm doing nice things or because I'm going to church or because of whatever. But if we're not giving glory to him, if we're not deflecting the glory that all us kind of like, if we're not instead... Um, deflecting it to him, bringing him glory with our lives, and thanking him for things that, that we have done. I don't know that uh, I've really ever met an unbeliever, I think this is safe to say, that's truly thankful that God is God. They're thankful for some of the stuff God gives them, for sure, maybe, but they're they're not thankful that God is really who he says he is, and that he's to receive all the glory. Usually that bugs them a little bit, that God's uh, after the glory rather than, you know, them taking it themselves. And so I don't know if that really answers that question, except to say, all that we're doing, if it's not for God's glory, it's, it's not of faith.
0: So th- this is really a God-centered view of morality, right? So it, everything corresponds to our relationship with God. If it's just man-centered, then okay, just be a nice person, you know, whatever it might be. Be be upbeat, be positive, be outgoing. You're going to be loved by everybody. But if it's not coming, if it's coming for self-glory or it's coming for some other reason, if it's not coming out of a love and gratitude to God and a trust in God, then uh, what looks uh ripe and beautiful on the outside is actually rotten on the inside uh, of that of those deeds
2: yeah and um and, and, and you know if we go into romans 14 whoever is that's his command to be eats because eating is not from faith for whoever does uh whatever does not proceed from faith is sin so if it's not coming from faith and there again maybe a little bit of a different uh, way of looking at it there, but then it's then it's sin. So strong language. No,
0: that that's helpful. Scott, can you help us out here with uh, with uh, verses uh, four and Let's just start with verse four, the Cain and Abel uh, story. Can you reread oh, that for I was, us? I
1: was I was hoping that uh, you would take uh, the the <laughs> Abel deal. I can read verse four again. Uh, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So I think where you start us Mark, you should off on that.
2: Didn't Mark talk about that in his sermon on I Abel. believe so. Yes, Mark, take us back four years to Abel. Oh, no. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, th- this is a great story uh, to learn from. Uh, in Genesis 4, the first few verses. It can be surprising when you go back and look how brief it is. It's just a very brief story. But um, can we just turn there just for a second to Genesis 4? And uh, just kind of refreshing ourselves on this, because it it really is packed with just a few verses. So so, uh, verse 1. Now, this is Genesis four one. Now, Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Just pausing there, Cain was outwardly religious. This often gets overlooked. I mean, I don't often think about it. Cain was doing, he was bringing his so-called tithe, right? He was bringing his offering to the Lord. He was sacrificially giving to the Lord uh, of his own crop here, and he was not doing it from a heart of faith and love to God. Hebrews makes clear, and so does this story. He was doing it for some other reason. Maybe he's trying to earn God's acceptance or something. God sees Abel's faith, and he approves of Abel's offering, but Cain's is not approved of, and the first murder comes out of this self-righteous misunderstanding of of how we are to approach God and how do we are to approach our neighbor. And he becomes jealous. He becomes deeply jealous of his brother, and he eventually uh, murders him. The first murder. And if you remember, the sin was crouching at the door uh, to get him, he was warned about. And he he doesn't try to fight that sin. He gives in. And so um, again, we learn there that faith uh, may not bring about the worldly results we want in this life. Uh, mm-hmm. It was Abel, the one with faith, who was brutally killed. Uh, that, that happened by a faithful man. So again, prosperity theology in all forms is again destroyed here because the guy who had faith was the one who was murdered. The guy who had no faith was the one who was survived and was actually protected in some way for, for a period of time in his life. And so the, the morality is not tied to the immediate results outwardly. The, the morality is tied to God and, and eternal results. Abel is with God in heaven. Cain, uh, every indication is that Cain obviously was, was lost uh, because he did not fight against it. But let me just go going. One other thing here about Hebrews 11 that's been pointed out is the first person with faith is Abel, who, is, who dies. The second person with faith is Enoch, who does not die. And the third person is Noah, and I heard someone say, and everyone else dies in his story. So it doesn't (laughs) matter. There is no guarantee that if you have faith, your life will go a certain way. Uh, These are the most diverse differences you could possibly find in life stories. Someone is murdered, someone never tastes death, and someone survives when everyone else perishes in God's judgment. Those are the most opposite results of faith you could imagine. So there's no one way. It's not like if everyone who believes has prosperity or everyone who believes experiences terrible circumstances, it's all of the above. And so faith doesn't determine how our life in this world goes physically, but it does determine our relationship with God and our relationship in eternity with God. So, so wow. I think this is an important corrective to a lot of false notions of faith today in our society.
2: Scott, Mark's trying to get by without finishing verse 4 right there could you rebuke your brother on that one um because you've got to tell us and that's it was great mark but through his faith though he died he still speaks help us understand that part
0: well i mean the, the famous speaking of abel is his blood speaking and yeah. I, I have a Sneaking suspicion, that's what the author of Hebrews is talking about, because he mentions the talking blood of Abel in the very next chapter, verse 24. So I think that's got to be what it is, that Abel was innocently murdered, and when God comes to find Cain, God says, your blood is crying out, your brother's blood is crying out from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground. So Abel's blood is symbolically, metaphorically telling God, you know, an innocent person has been killed, please avenge and bring justice, and God does that. Uh, Whereas in chapter 12, we're told that Christ's blood also speaks, we are the Cain, we've murdered our better Abel, Jesus, our brother, and his blood now is crying out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal and our forgiveness. And so Jesus is the true and better Abel, and uh, just like Abel's blood spoke, Jesus's blood speaks a better word than than the Mm. blood of Abel.
2: Yeah, that's great. Uh, I remember that from when you pre- preach through Genesis, and what a, what a phenomenal way to, to think about that. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, Enoch and Noah. Thoughts about uh, these two uh, interesting characters. Scott?
1: Yeah. Just mentioning Enoch, when you think of Enoch, he walked with God and he was not. But the walking with God aspect is what sort of uh, – I was reading Lloyd-Jones on his he they published a book with various sermons from Hebrews, and some of them were from eleven and he he talked about Noah and Enoch actually walking with God, but sort of just thinking about walking with god uh this this privilege Lloyd Jones says what a privilege it is to enjoy companionship and fellowship with the Creator of the universe, the Lord God almighty and this sort of ties in with with everything but uh, this happened over the course of a few days, but this last Saturday I mentioned this on on sunday with michael just being out in creation where the snows mill guest house is where her parents are we're getting to they have this beautiful area out there they have a creek and all this so we were out walking with him and just looking at all these different things we kind of he he loves to slow down and just he sees everything sees the wonder of creation so i'm getting down with him and we're looking at we saw the the ladybug but we saw like there's flowers and then there's flowers underneath those flowers like little tiny little flowers like purple flowers yellow flowers and it's amazing And you see you just know that God created all of this. I can tell Michael, you know, God, He made everything. He made all of this. Like it, you just know, like he, Hebrews 11:3 talked about. We weren't there when God created everything, but we know. Then I, I came home later, logging on my computer, and there was this picture on the on the login for Windows 10, and it was like this galaxy with just stars upon stars upon stars. I mean, it looked like millions of stars jammed in this picture, and it's like God created all of that. But then the moving thing for me is. Uh, this God is my Father. Like He has adopted me into His family, I have the extraordinary privilege of walking with Him, drawing near to Him. And Lloyd uh, Jones, he said, he said this. Uh, he says, can you think of anything greater than knowing that such a God, such a being, is interested in you and that He is concerned about you? That He went and spoke to. Abraham, and he also comes and speaks to you that though he has made everything out of nothing and plays with the constellations, just as a child plays with marbles, nevertheless, he knows you personally and has a great concern for you and for your well-being. And not only that, he has a great plan and purpose for us, and his purposes with respect to us are always good. That is what, it, what he has told us about himself. So just to, to not lose sight of the, the incredible privilege it is that we have to walk with God Uh, To draw near to God. Uh, And really, just we even talked, we were talking about prayer with the guys last night and just the the privilege to go to God. Like, Mark, you've you've quoted this many times about who can wake up the king at three in the morning for a glass of milk. Well, the king's son or daughter can do that. We have that access. We can literally pray about anything and everything. God cares about everything. It honors him. So just we should not lose sight of the great privilege to just walk with God and fellowship communion with God.
2: Hmm. Yeah. And both you guys have reminded us of this um, a bunch, but. You know, Jesus saying, Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. And faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so um I know I've experienced in the last couple of days uh, a lack of faith in a number of ways. And and it wasn't until I really went to meditate on the word, where I really had to meditate on the word and on his promises, where that started, you could and you could feel it. You could feel the an infusion of faith because that's what god's word always does at a hundred percent success rate and i think that's why um let's not roam around being faithless or being um uncertain of uh, who god is and what he has promised but let's go back to his word because his word is very and uh convincing even if we don't see it. I mean, I guess that's what faith is. Even if we can't see what's to believe it, because we have an assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things not seen. So uh, I think it's uh, to add to prayer there, um, a meditation on God's word, a, a thinking about it um, and then and obeying it. Um, and then certainly, um, and I guess that was kind of when you get to um, verse seven, by faith, Noah being warned of God concerning the events of the unseen river and reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. His obedience is amazing to me that God tells him to build an ark and for 120 years with surely countless hecklers saying, Noah, you're 89 years in. Rain? You're talking about rain, man? Where is the rain? You know, what are you doing? And uh, and yet he built and built and built with uh, with great obedience. And so we obey even when it's not looking um, fruitful.
1: Yeah. And I just, can I just jump in before Mark, you just jump, jump on that. I just want to mention, Jerry, because you kind of just answered your own question from earlier about what makes us not uh, have faith or like unbelief. Well, one of the things would be neglecting the word of god yeah when we don't spend time on the word of god when we really don't soak in the word of god this these sins of irritability the sins of like anger the sins of complaining they're always going to come flying out of us which our faith is weakening and we are sin is coming out because the word really has that power to strengthen our faith so i I don't want to miss that it's so utterly important to to soak soak in the word
0: and just also just with chapter 10 Uh, Verse 23, we talk about these verses a lot, but let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So this is how we don't fall away. For he who promised is faithful. So number one, we remember God is faithful. Number two, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Uh, Number three, which is related to that, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So scripture reading, reminding ourselves of God's faithfulness, Encouraging each other and even physically meeting together, which obviously right now we're in this once a century situation where we actually cannot do that. But uh, Lord willing, soon we will be able to again. But these are necessary means of grace to keep us going until the end, and um, we we must again. uh, We talk about these a lot, but the means of grace or the habits of grace, holy habit forming, it has to be the most important thing. I mean, just in Mm -hmm. terms of just day in day out Christian living there is this temptation when you're a new Christian that I went into where you have a mountaintop experience, you have a very emotional experience, and you think you've clicked the button, you know, you flip the switch, and you're good to go, and that wears off in about 30 minutes, so you, you keep having these moments where you think, oh, I went to this conference, or I had a great worship service, well, that's great, like, praise the Lord that that went well, but know that the gas in that tank lasts about 24 hours, and you mm-hmm. got to refuel the tank the next day, so Sunday was like say you had a, a really a moving time at church and you go home jazzed you're like ready to go you're like I am I am excited well by Monday morning you better refuel that tank because you are going to be depleted by about Monday afternoon you're going to be irritable and crabby by about Monday at three thirty in the afternoon so the Lord in His you know in His in His providence has wired us to ref to need refueling like Second Corinthians day by day being renewed in your faith so we need day in day out renewal and anybody this is 100 percent true of me anybody who neglects the means of grace for a day or two is in trouble i mean anybody because we start spiraling towards anxiety fear pride all the sins start creeping in so it is a just like you got to clear the weeds out of the garden every couple days you you've got to clear the weeds out of your heart by the means of grace every single day uh that's just part of the, the christian life and i think uh I say it, and then there's all kinds of days where I neglect them in different ways. So, so we, we need that daily reminder of, of our need for God.
1: And let me, let me just say this uh, about that same topic. Like one of my favorite people in church history is George Mueller. One of the reasons why I love him so much is like so many people are brilliant, way more brilliant than Mueller. But Mueller wasn't brilliant, but he just – his faith was so – it's hard to find somebody who had greater faith than George Mueller. He just took God in his word, believed what he said. But the correlation would be he loved the Bible. He loved and loved and loved the Bible. He read it so much, uh, 120 times, maybe more than that in, in his life, just consistently going going to the Word of God. And I'll just, I'll just throw, throw that in here, Mark. Uh, he's so con- He was so consistent, still is to this day. When he became a Christian, like the Bible was, like he said, everything was new. He said, I didn't understand hardly anything, but he just was pouring over the Bible. I mean, reading the New Testament seven times. But the, the fact that he has, he started that holy habit and he's never... Stop that holy habit. I remember it was uh, one morning. We ha- I think we had to go to the airport. It was a Sunday morning, I think, taking Lilian at the airport. It was like five. It was before, like six o'clock. And we pulled out of here, and I can see the church, and I can see the light on in his office. And just, I was just moved because I know what's going on in that office. My dad is reading the Bible. He's reading his four portions of scripture. He is singing hymns. And he is praying. I know he's going to be praying for me, my wife. He's praying for like, our family, extended family. And just that holy habit is so ingrained. It was just moving to see that light up there, to know that holy habit is there. So we, we've got to create the, those holy habits for sure. And really, I think, slow down. I mean, slowing down on Hebrews 11, for me, just these last several, it's been wonderful. There's so many things in here. It's just like, it's just blowing up rather than just rushing through the reading, maybe just slowing down to the reading, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I just say yeah. that, Scott,
0: the, the, w- oftentimes as we're younger, our, we want to be, we want fireworks, we want to be a firework. And uh, Jerry's reminded me, it's almost like you want to be a slow-burning lamp, not a firework. Uh, a firework looks great for about three seconds. Everyone goes, ooh, ah, and then it's gone forever. A slow-burning lamp lasts for weeks and weeks and weeks, and it may not get any news coverage because it doesn't look that impressive, but I, I am. I, I remember Jerry. You probably said ten years ago that you you were. You talked about a guy at your other church. You just said he he's his consistency is what is so impressive. He's in he's in his seventies. Mm-hmm. He's just the same every time you see him. He's he's steady. He's consistent. And you said that you admire that quality now almost more than anything. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking when you like it stuck so deep in my mind that I was like. That's not the quality I'm thinking. I'm thinking about the big firework display, like where you do something dramatic for Jesus, you do something crazy for Jesus, and you were saying, I mean, that's fine. If you want to go do something, you know, that's fine. But far better to be a slow-burning believer who just every day is consistently following the Lord and loving the Lord and doing modest, humble work for Him without, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, causing some big big up-and-down problem. So that's, that's inspiring to me, I think, still.
2: Yeah, no, I think so, Mark, I heard you uh, say, yeah, I mean, not too long ago that we live in this microwave world and uh, and God's not, not like that. You don't get to know him uh, instantly like that. And so I do think it's kind of important for us to, to hang around the baby saints because those guys that are brand new or girls that are brand new in the faith, um, they, God does treat them in, a, in an extra special way. And it's a great, it's just great to watch them grow. Um, Scott, you just mentioned, whether it's Grant, Jose, Caitlin, Miss Dorothy, uh, you know, just talk to Miss Dorothy. There's, I, I can't get enough of that. But we really, really need to go to those who have known the Lord for a long time. Um, a half an hour ago, uh, well, maybe an hour now, Papa Fred just calls in his continual Faithfulness about serving um, always the same, always on fire to minister to somebody um, to talk about the word uh, to to just check in those sort of so so I do think um when you guys mention uh, your dad, I think that's why it's always important probably in every congregation um even though right now at, at North Avenue we have a lot of younger people but but our people that have been around the block for a while and have seen God's past faithfulness and just live running the fullback up the middle all the time, two yards, three yards, four yards, not getting many bursts down the, down the field, but uh, a consistent walk with Christ. And, and uh, like you said, Scott, um, the constant meditation of the word and prayer, the means of grace that, Um, that just, you can't, you can't get there without, um, those habits, those, those holy habits that we all need.
0: And it just, it's interesting that, um, sometimes we will almost excuse ourselves when we look at someone who lives the Christian life very well. We say, well, that's just almost a special person, you know, well, God just really blessed them. God's really just allowed them to be that way. I'll never be that way. I don't, well, think about James. What is it? James, uh five. Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. Uh, so I mean there, there James is saying don't put Elijah in a category that makes it inaccessible to you. Like he did all this incredible praying, well, I could never do that because I'm just I'm almost a humble Christian. I was like, no no, like Elijah was a sinner. We're sinners. God was faithful to Elijah, that same God will be faithful to you. It's not about you and me or Elijah, it's about the God behind us. And so the only reason that uh, we should never say, well, you know, George Mueller, you know, just was George Mueller. And so I shouldn't, I can't learn to pray anything like that ever. Or I can't, you know, Spurgeon was, this. well, certainly people have giftings that we don't have. I mean, Spurgeon had a gift of communication that no one alive today maybe even has. I mean, that's, we don't compare gifts. But when it comes to faithfulness to God, (laughs) I guarantee you, you look underneath the hood of anybody's life that's faithful to God consistently, and you will see these holy habits of grace that are they were uncompromising on the regular day in day out means of grace. I, I bet that would be the one commonality between all faithful Christians of history is is there is their zeal for those daily uh, mundane but necessary uh, things that that we often uh, are tempted to neglect. Just one
1: more thing yeah. on Noah, just. Uh... I know we did. We you could say so much about Noah, but one thing that Lloyd Jones said about Noah was that, like Jerry was saying, he was mocked and like people think he's crazy. But all Noah had was God's word to 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 take, to trust. And he said, Lloyd Jones said, God's word was verified in its every detail in the flood, in the deliverance of Noah and his family, and everything. I just thought the faithfulness of God, the trustworthiness of, of His word, come comes through right there. Just to, just to throw that out there. That's good. All
0: right, let me read eight uh, to twelve here. even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So, and obviously Abraham's the major player in this chapter. Uh, what, what are some things here we're supposed to learn from, from Abraham and his life and Sarah as well?
2: Well, I, I kind of think one thing, and it's not. And it's maybe more from all of these guys, but they're always looking ahead. They're always looking forward. You know, and certainly in Philippians, we see forgetting what's behind and pressing on toward what's ahead. But, uh, but here, verse 10, they were looking forward to the city that has foundations. Verse 13, um, they had received these things promised And not having seen them, but greeting them from afar and having acknowledged them that they were strangers and aliens um, on this earth. Verse 16, um, they desire a better country, a heavenly one, something that they're looking forward to. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He was looking ahead. It's something that when we have hope, it's an expectation of something sure to come. Um, 35, I think. Got to turn the page. Yeah. Women receive back their dead by resurrection. Someone tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Something they're looking forward to. So uh, I just think, key, uh, to all of this is to just not get so caught, uh, in the daily grind, but to fix our eyes on the eternal, on things that are above, uh, set our minds and hearts on those things to look ahead, to look forward. Um, otherwise I think it just can be discouraging and then discouragement clobbers our faith if we don't watch it. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So there was There was always this forward-looking of something that was better to come. And then, um, hey, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us, that eternal glory that far outweighs them all, a future grace that God's going to give us. And and don't each of these have
0: to do – the forward-looking thing involves a lot of waiting. Uh, Mm -hmm. So Noah waits – perhaps 120 years before the promise comes true, and it works consistently all the way up until the moment, probably, or at least much of that time to get there. Uh, Abraham waits decades before he gets Isaac as his son. Joseph waits, what, 13 years before he gets out of the prison and exalted to the right hand. Job sits through the ash heap for who knows how many months and perhaps years before uh, the Lord begins to restore Uh, Some of the things for him. And Jesus endures, what's that?
2: Moses. Yes. For a lot of waiting before he sees God do a great work, even after. Because I wonder in those 40 years mark whether Moses is saying, yeah, roaming around in the wilderness. It's like, wow, I'm not, I'm wondering if I made a good decision here. You know, in all of that waiting, look what I gave up. And And I don't see the reward, and then the Lord uses them in a phenomenal way
0: yeah, so the the theme of waiting is just I think it, we should see this as a normal theme in the bible of of faith, and it's something that we are all going to be a part of, and uh we talked about I think on Sunday where David talked about waiting that waiting for the Lord is just a very hard thing to do. It is a very hard thing. Far harder uh, to to wait for these things to happen than to actually be there in the moment where they arrive and to be faithful in that moment where, where it's all obvious. But uh, the, the waiting and trusting, uh, that's the challenge, I think, of the life of faith. Jerry, it looks like you're getting rained on.
2: I am. <laughs> We should
0: probably get you to move somewhere, Jerry.
2: Oh no, it's just a light rain. It's it's uh, it feels good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well
0: I, I can edit this part out. But what do y'all want to cover? I know we're running out of time probably, but what do y'all want to recover for this last
1: bit here? Yeah, I mean, if Jerry's getting wet, we may have we may want to pause it. I don't know.
2: No, it's it. Uh, if it starts raining hard, it's just dribbling. <laughs> <laughs> I think the the looking ahead part, but then eh, you know, and I think the out of sight out of mind like that's what i i say- I think I'm like that sometimes I go back after uh Thanksgiving vacation, and I can't remember the seventh graders' names anymore because you know I haven't seen them for like for five days, and <laughs> I've had' them for a year and a half now in, in school and it's like, they're out of sight, they're out of mind. I haven't really paid it. But I think that that's my problem with faith too. If, if I can't see it, I'm not involved. I'm not, I'm not there. And so the faith is out of sight in my, it's gotta be, even when it's not in my sight, it's gotta be in my mind. So, so these guys had faith because they had conviction of things not seen. And they were future things, but um, Noah did strongly that he built an ark for 120 years. It just seems, seems so incredible. Abraham did believe that he was going to have descendants more than the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore even though he's, you know, 100 years old and, um, and still waiting for a, for a son uh, of the promise. And so, you know, the amazing thing about these guys, when I am having troubles waiting 10 minutes for something or 10 days, Noah waited 120 years, you know. And, and so to go through this list and to see how patient these guys just believe in the Lord, trust in the Lord, no matter when it looked good or if it didn't look good, like which was most of the case. And then Mark, I love your point earlier to say it didn't always end well, you know, to those sawn in two, that doesn't seem like that's a a good ending, but um, they had faith nonetheless. It didn't matter how it it was going to end.
0: Yeah. In fact, if, if uh, we can look down at 1132, And Jerry read part of this just a minute ago, but 1132, you really feel the pendulum swing here of of different results outwardly. And what more shall I say? More time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith uh, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women receive back their dead by resurrection, period. Okay, now up until that part, man, it doesn't get better than that life. That life sounds amazing. Shutting the mouths of lions or Daniel in the lion's den. I mean, this is putting foreign armies to flight, seeking justice. This is all by faith. So you could see a prosperity preacher could preach till this period and stop and make a false (laughs) application. But then the author goes, hey, it goes the other way too sometimes. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. I just think that is a powerful contrast. Some people by faith will see great outward success in life. You may see many conversions. You may have a large influence. You may write books that sell millions of copies for the Lord. That all could happen. Uh, At the same time, we might get sick, we might get diseases, we might go through horrible persecution. I mean, all these things are fair game for the believer and all are under God's good providence for his people. And so we, we don't want to think there's one guaranteed result of a life of faith. It's all of the above, but we trust that the Lord is sovereign over all of that.
2: Yeah, that's really good. The one guaranteed result is that we got a future home that is going to far outweigh this all that's what we know. And so that's what we bank on. And then whatever comes in between there is I love the word fair game that, that could, could happen. And I did read when you're talking about the pros their prosperity preachers that uh Hebrews 11 and them don't get along for sure.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, if, if we're going to go stay, if we're going to, if we're, if someone's given us an amazing house, like some millionaire billionaire's house, and on the way traveling there, we stay at a hotel. Who really cares what quality that hotel is? It could be a Motel mm-hmm. 6. It could be the Ritz. That is completely irrelevant. If there's some roaches on the floor, that's fine. I don't care if there's like, you know, if there's a dirty carpet, I don't care. I'm going to inherit the Biltmore Estate tomorrow. My hotel tonight does not matter. And now, again, I say that, and then uh, you can go ask my family if I contradict that. About every five minutes, because I don't live that way consistently. But that—that that is what I want to live more like. Yeah, Scott.
1: Yeah, I mean, just to not lose sight of it, even in the suffering, though, like God is with us. He's promised to to be with us. He said, "I'm with you always to the end of the age." Like that John Patton story that you referenced, and Jerry's about to get soaked. <laughs> <It's> like...
0: <laughs> Some had perfect environment while they were speaking. Yes. Others were being washed with water all by faith.
2: If I go to the dining room table, I'm in the frozen motion. If I stay out here, I'm just getting wet. That's right. Oh uh, Yeah, I guess I better head inside.
1: <laughs> okay. It's getting darker and darker.
2: <laughs> Noah might be out there with you, Jerry. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, mm-hmm.
0: One last thing I wanted to say was at the, this, at the end of 11, you've got people looking outwardly successful and people looking outwardly like failures, but all by faith. I mean, Jesus is the ultimate both of those, right? I mean, he, he's feeding the 5,000 with the kids' small lunch. He's walking on water. He's calming storms. He's casting out demons. He's putting four armies to flight, and he's the one enforcing justice. He's the one that's able to stop the mouths of the lions, essentially, and then on the cross— he's sawn in two, right? He's the one who's pierced through. He's the one who's tortured uh, that he might rise again to a better life. I mean, he, he experiences like the horrific side. So even Jesus himself was not immune from a perfect life of faith in his instance and still the worst suffering imaginable. So he experienced both the success outwardly and the failure outwardly, uh, being lauded and praised by the crowds and then being called for his crucifixion by some of the same crowds. So if Jesus experience the positive and the negatives by faith, how in the world are we not going to experience the positives and the negatives uh, by faith? And there's there's no amount of faith that can lead you to one or the other. It's just, it, it's it's ultimately in the Lord's control.
1: Yeah, right, even what get, you said on, on Sunday, uh, in your in your message on Sunday about how uh it became a byword, that idea, like Jesus with his own family. I thought it was great encouragement to people who have non-Christian family members who may be saying that about them, but then they're sharing in the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. In that, I thought that was powerful. That Jesus knows what it's like to to have, be mistreated by his own family members, and believe faithful believers in our church who are getting that same treatment are really sharing in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. In that, I thought that was a well-done point there.
0: Yeah, no that that is that that is uh, it's crazy to think about that, that they thought he was crazy and that they were like. The reactions to Jesus by the by the siblings is is crazy, and then, of course, First Corinthians 15, he appeared to James. Uh, well, that well, that was probably a turnaround moment for for the brother there when he when he saw. Uh-huh. But he, he, he gets that uh-huh. resurrection experience in in First Corinthians, and
2: probably that was his conversion. I mean, I'm assuming that would have been his conversion moment at that point. Mm-hmm.